You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, each individual here, Lord, that you've brought us here. As you say, when two or three or more are gathered in your name, you are in the midst of us, and indeed we are confident you are in our midst. Uh, lead and guide us uh, this morning and for this season of the Inquirer's course. Um, and we're mindful today with the winds blowing outside of our friends and family and neighbors in the wake and sights of uh, Irma, Lord, would you protect them um, pray all these things for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm so delighted to do this uh, with you uh, this morning, the Inquirer's Course. I'll, I'll, my name is Matt Schneider. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the clergy uh, here on staff, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be here the whole season, though I'm not always the teacher for each uh, session. Um, and uh, um, just if nobody's said it before, a, a very warm welcome to the Advent. And I do have a topic for today in terms of content, but I want to talk just a little bit about this class before I, I do that. And so the topic will be a little bit brief, but it frames kind of the thinking behind the sort of lessons for the rest of the class, though. Um, so the choir's class, uh, I think we have nine sessions this term. Um, it'll go through the first Sunday of November, is that right? <clears throat> we also, the, the week before that uh, that uh, that Sunday, um, we'll have a um, like a wine and cheese party, is that right, at the Dean's house, at Andrew's house, is that November 2nd? Um, and so I hope you'll consider that as kind of part of the term, too. I think it's a, it's a midweek evening at Andrew's home, uh, opportunity to get to know him and his wife, Lauren, and their family better, uh, and just a, a time for social gathering, because we're just often so rushed here during this sort of 40 minutes. Uh, it's a little bit uh, more leisurely opportunity uh, in November. I hope you'll come to that. But I hope you'll. What I'm trying to say is, I hope you'll stick with us for the whole term. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of great teaching around here, um, and so you might feel like, ooh, there's a um, there's a class that uh, you know I'm gonna list, I'm gonna miss if I if I go to the inquirer's class. And I'll just say that we record everything. I'm even recording this now. So if there is a title that is really interesting to you, you can always go on our website and listen to it later. Um, and uh, I've tried to do a good job of recruiting all our best teachers to come and teach during uh, uh, this class. So um, you'll get good content, I promise you. Um, you won't be, uh, um, uh, you'll, you'll miss what's going on here if you go somewhere else, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and, and you know, the thing is, like, nine weeks is, is, quite, a, is quite a bit, yet it's, it's insufficient. You know, we're not going to cover everything. There's so much more. but. We try to sort of choose lessons that will give you an understanding of uh, what it is that we, in the leadership at least, believe around here and why. Um, um, uh, hopefully to educate you if you've never heard that before or uh, um, to help you make a decision about if this is the right church home for you. And I hope it is. I really do hope and pray uh, that you'll, you'll stick with us. Um, and uh, what else do I want to say? And, and like I said, the, the relational aspect of this, uh, even if you're an introvert like me, I think is important. Uh, if you, you know, if you, right, Naomi? We're both INFJ, I learned. Um, it's like only 1% of the population, INFJ. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you, if, you, if you come to church and don't make any friends, you're missing out, regardless of your disposition, even if you're the most introverted person in the world. 
um, because part of this is not just about the, the education and the preaching, that's super duper important, um, <clears throat> but uh, to have community, to come together and to uh, encourage each other, admonish and encourage and and uh, speak the word of God's love uh, to each other and be in community um, because of really what I want to teach about today, that uh, what we're about here, and I don't say this to be an alarmist, I just say this to... Uh, to be realistic. What is the saying? I'm not pessimistic. I'm just realistic. Um, that the the world, as it were, really is against the message of Christianity, and increasingly so. And so uh, you, 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 we just cannot be lone rangers in, in that sort of milieu. We, we really need each other to encourage each other. Uh, a, a favorite quote of mine is from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who says, the Christ in me is weaker than the Christ in my brother, but the Christ in me is stronger than the Christ in him. And so we need each other to speak the word of Christ to each other. And you hear that not just from the pulpit, which is a primary place, but uh, in relationship with uh, fellow uh, believers who trust in Jesus Christ. Um, and so, and so that's what that's what this is all about. And and uh, and I'm happy to to uh, help you in any way that you need uh, during that process. Um, the the lesson. Um, anything else I should say, Fontaine, about Inquirer's class that I'm I'm, I'm missing? Okay, good. Um, and uh, the lesson today is Christianity in a, a late modern society. Um, which maybe you're like, what does that even mean? Hopefully I'll um, unpack that a little bit for you. But before I, I get into that, I just want to read a, 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 um, a bit of scripture to you, um, which is, I think, prophetic for our time. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul writing to his protege, uh, Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort uh, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Of course, even in Paul's lifetime, that was true. Um, but he says the time's coming, and the time is always, that's always, we've gone through cycles of history where what he's saying, where the, the, the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching, but acquire teachers who will um, suit their, their felt needs. Having itching ears is a, is a great phrase. Um, and, uh, and, and the time is here, and it has been here. Um, and it's, that's in increasingly uh, the case. Uh, and, that's, and so I, I gave this uh, class the title, Christianity in a Late Modern Age. Because you've, maybe you've heard of modernity, modernism, in terms of uh, um, um, a description of Western sort of society. I'm talking Europe, North America, Australia, South Africa, places like that, uh, being in uh, a period after the medieval era called modernity, uh, modernism. And then uh, in the 20th century, people started talking about postmodernism. Are you tracking with me? You've heard this before. This isn't foreign to you. Maybe you don't entirely know what that means because nobody has great definitions of either. They kind of have overlapping um, sort of um, um, uh, characteristics. Uh, but it just means what is the sort of intellectual uh, frame of mind of people in Western society 
uh, including North America, including the United States, all of the United States. Um, and uh, the thing is, we, we're kind of in between modernism and postmodernism. Po postmodernism has been here for a long time, especially in art and uh, intellectual uh, places and uh, culture-making kind of places. But in terms of on the ground, real life for everyday Americans, we're kind of in between modernity and post-modernity. And here's some of the characteristics of being a modern society. Okay, I just uh, found uh, found this uh, uh, list of, of some descriptions of what it means uh, to be a modern society. Uh, an emphasis on bureaucracy. Um, maybe you've uh, felt and experienced that before. A world that's, uh, well, disenchantment of the world, the loss of uh, sacred and metaphysical understandings of all facets of life and culture. And so this is modernism, okay? This is, this is since uh, the Renaissance in, in, in Europe. This is what's been sort of ratcheting up, this disenchantment with the sacred and metaphysical. Um, rationalization, the world can be understood and managed through a reasonable and logical system of objectively accessible theories and data. And you can contrast that. That's a sticking point that you can contrast with postmodernism. I'll get to that in a minute. Secularization, the loss of religious influence. And here's, a, here's one that's depressing is alienation, increased isolation of the individual from systems of meaning, including family, meaningful work, religion, um, clan, uh, just uh, in terms of our tribes, whatever they are, etc. Um, commodification, the reduction of all aspects of life to objects of monetary consumption and exchange. Um, these two, are, I think, are really big. That, that commodification, the consumerism, and this one also, individualism, a growing stress on individuals as opposed to mediating structures such as family, academy, village, and church. <clears throat> Subjectivism, the turn inward for definitions and evaluations of uh, truth and meaning. Objectivism, the belief that truth claims can be established by autonomous information accessible by all. I should be able to discern truth based on the information in the world and my own logical reasoning, okay? Um, homogenization, the social forces that tend toward uh, uh, uniformity of cultural ideas and products. We don't like diversity. And that cuts both ways across the ideological spectrum, by the way, both liberal and conservative and in between. We want everybody to be like us, right? Isn't that why when you talk to people and they say something you disagree with, they're like, right? You know, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> and because they want, they, they're projecting that they want you to agree with that. It makes it very uncomfortable to disagree anymore. And uh, that's increasingly happening. And we saw as a product of um, um, modernity, totalitarianism at its extreme, fascism, Nazi Germany, you know, Stalin's Russia, things like that. And here's a, a final one I'll mention is therapeutic motivations. This is huge. Um, <clears throat> the understanding that the human self is a product of evolutionary desires and that the self should be assisted in achieving those desires as opposed to projects of ethical improvement or pursuit of public virtue. And as I said, the sort of dark side of modernity um, is the, the um, psychological and moral hazards of modern life or alienation, feeling of rootlessness, loss of strong bonds of common value, hedonism, disenchantment of the world, and so on. 
the loss of a generally agreed uh, of generally agreed upon definitions of human dignity, human nature, and the resulting loss of value in human life have all been cited as the impact of a social process of civilization that reaps the fruits of growing privatization, subjectivism, reductionism, a lot of isms and big words. I hope you're still with me and you resonate with what I'm saying, right? That's modernity and that's been happening for about 500 years. That's been kind of the, the movement that's been growing, okay? Um, <clears throat> through the Renaissance uh, uh, movement, through enlightenment, through industrialization, industrial revolution, um, and now it's almost like exponential now that we have modern technology, right? You can chart it more and more. And then, so you can, so not contrast, but moved into what scholars have called postmodernism, okay? Which is a little bit different. And some of the characteristics of postmodernism versus modernism, and my argument is we're still mostly modern, okay? But society is moving, especially the places that have cultural influence towards postmodernism, which says there is no absolute truth. Remember, modernism had value in institutions and science and rational thinking. Postmodernism says there is no absolute truth. It used to be, you know, 80 years ago when people did AA, the beginning, the first step of AA is, uh, you know, you find a higher power, right? Remember that? Most people generally went to the Trinitarian God because like 80 years ago, that was what was in the cultural milieu of the United States. Now you hear people say silly things like it could be a doorknob, right? Have you heard that before? Have you heard that cliche? Well, that's postmodern thinking, okay? That uh, there's no absolute truth. I make it up for myself. It's a contrived illusion misused by people and special interest groups to gain power over others. That would be anything that, that's the opinion about anything that claims to have truth. And truth and error are synonymous. Facts, postmodernists claim, are too limiting to determine anything, changing erratically. What is fact today can be false tomorrow. You know, make it up as you go. Or it's okay if, you know, tribal people in, you know, Papua New Guinea is part of their value system to kill, you know, people for human sacrifices. I'm just totally making that up, right? And because that's, that's, that's okay. I mean, there is no transcendent truth. If people want to do human sacrifice and that's part of their culture, we need to respect that, right? That's postmodern thinking. And that's an extreme. Uh, disillusionment with uh, modernism is another facet of postmodernism which uh, ruse the unfulfilled promise of science, technology, government, and religion. Um, so people aren't even saying, I believe in science as a counterpoint to faith anymore because there's a lack of faith in science increasingly. Um, instead, you'll hear people talk about, have you heard, uh, if you want to find truth, look inside of yourself? That's a dangerous thing to say. <laughs> I think that's a very dangerous thing to say. Um, uh, and uh, finally, postmodern thinking is all religions are valid, valuing inclusive faith. Postmodernists gravitate towards New Age uh, religion, denouncing the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ as being the only way of God. So that's where we are. And so we're, we're on the cusp between the two. That's late modern. Uh, we're not entirely, we kind of, as a culture, depending on who we are and where we live, we might have one foot more largely than the other, but we're influenced by those kind of uh, societal norms and uh, shifts. Um, and uh, I've brought in some data to show you that I'm not making this stuff up, okay? <laughs> I'm not, I mean, this is just increasingly in the news media uh, and uh, in respectable uh, sources of statistics, and all statistics are 75% true, right? Um, <laughs> um, 
yeah, yeah. So there's two different things going around. Um, okay, let's see. I'll g I'm going to go like about five more minutes with this and then open it up for, for discussion. Um, the, he, these are just, you know, this is just uh, skimming the surface. But uh, there the are two different sources here in the, um, the, the four-page packet. The first page is um, from ba the Barna Research Group, which is a lot like if you've heard of the Pew Research Group. Barna's a lot like them, but they f concentrate solely on what they call theolographics. So they study uh, demographics based on uh, religious and spiritual lives of Americans. And uh, they've been increasingly churning out a lot of stuff about uh, sort of describing a post-Christian America, post-Christendom society and what that's looking like. And as you can see just on this front page of cities, of what it is is a percentage of individuals who live in these large urban areas, 100 largest urban areas in the United States, who identify as post-Christian, even if they don't say that themselves in terms of data points, th this, is, this would be sort of post-Christendom thinking. The most uh, post-Christendom place uh, would be Portland, uh, Ma not Oregon, Maine, okay? Uh, but Portland, Oregon's probably not uh, far behind, I assume. By the way, I'm from San Francisco, and that's number uh, eight on the list. Uh, so this is, I say all this as an expert who grew up, I'm talking about my native country, okay? I'm talking about San Francisco. This is what it's like. <laughs> And I'm, what I'm saying is that even in the South, which we describe as the Bible Belt, is increasingly becoming a post-Christendom society, especially in urban areas. And, uh, and I see that uh, because I recognize my people. You know, uh, I, I converted from atheism, if you don't know that about me, when I was in my mid-20s. 25 years of my life as an atheist, agnostic, or didn't know any better, and then at times resisted this message because I was a product of postmodern academic thinking have uh, a lot of academic background and so this was the this is uh, 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 this is what I experienced for the first uh, quarter century of my life and then against all odds God broke me down uh, so that I could hear the good news of Jesus Christ uh, and and converted in San Francisco of all places okay <laughs> number eight on the list uh, and so it's possible um, there are missionaries even in San Francisco uh, but if you go all the way to the bottom of that list you'll see that Shreveport Louisiana is uh, the the most sort of Christian place uh, as it were and uh, Birmingham is number 94 on the list where only 19 percent of the population would identify based on data points a kind of post Christendom sort of thinking okay um, and so it's hard for us to see, and yet um, this is uh, the the color uh, chart here is from another source, uh, which I know this is confusing, but if you flip to the other pages in the four page, uh, this is an executive summary of a new report that just came out last week by the <laughs> Public uh, Religion Research Institute, PRRI, did a massive uh, study with 100,000 plus uh, people in the survey. And this colorful thing is a chart that gives us an understanding of where people are. And the main point they're showing is that white evangelical Protestant uh, mainline and even Roman Catholic identifying across the United States is an increasingly shrinking demographic. Some others are remaining stable in terms of 
Hispanic, Catholic, black, Protestant, stuff like that. But if you look at the chart, what you're seeing here is anybody who's 18, look at, I mean, it's just, it's, it's going down and down and down and down. I mean, in terms of the pink stuff is unaffiliated, um, you know, baby boomers and older, uh, you know, only 12% of them would say they're unaffiliated. But those who are kind of millennial, 18 to 29, 38%. And you can see, I mean, it just is trending more and more. And we're talking a, in a generation, if this continues, it'll be 50, 60%. And eventually it'll just be the, ma the absolute majority. Well, I mean, unless something changes, unless Christ comes again, or there's a missionary movement on the ground that totally reconverts all of the United States, things are trending in this direction. Again, I'm not saying this to be an alarmist. Just being a realist, and I've got some data here, okay? And uh, I mean, you can look it up online. I I'm starting to collect this stuff just to sort of show you where we're at. And and so in and this is it's trending in this direction in the South as well. Actually, a growing place of sort of atheism, agnosticism is uh, you so you see this with things like the hillbilly elegy book is rural South. I mean, working class South is actually places that you would think uh, are the sort of hotbeds of uh, evangelicalism and stuff like that uh, is actually trending in the same direction. Um, and so it's, it's coming home here to roost. Uh, and so I bring all that in to say everything that we're going to talk to you about in the next nine weeks is absolutely countercultural. I mean, I don't even know why you're here. If you're sort of, if you're if you're a modernist, postmodernist person, what are you doing here? You know, I mean, uh, well, you can only be here because uh, God and His providence drew you here to hear the the, the word of God, <laughs> and uh, that you might stand behind it. And as I said, you cannot do this alone. You absolutely can. There are no Lone Ranger uh, uh, Christians in in Iraq and Syria. You know what I mean? Like, or, or anywhere like that. You, you, you need each other. Uh, we, we need each other. Uh, and so, and, and we need to be uh, clear on what it is we believe and why. And so that's kind of uh, some of the, the, the teaching here, you know, I mean, because this is some of the stuff that we, we believe in and hold true. And the, what I'm about to read to you in this list is runs diametrically in opposition to postmodernist thinking. Jesus is the only way to God. A sense of Christian exclusivism, uh, the authority and er inerrancy of Scripture, the Bible, as us looking to it as a place of authority that we can stand under, um, and it's sufficient uh, for understanding about uh, what we need about God and salvation, um, a belief in Trinitarianism versus Unitarianism, uh, atonement for sins in Christ's blood on the cross alone and no other way, uh, a, a belief in a final judgment and a reality of hell and Satan and his legion of demons. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thought, right? I mean, nobody likes to... I mean, people say that's sort of fantasy thinking, but actually Christ knew that that was true, and we believe in Christ and the word of Scripture, and that's uh, the, 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 the picture of what reality is like that it gives us. Uh, affirming transcendent and moral absolutes, that the word of God is clear and unchanging, uh, and uh, what he said thousands of years ago to the nation of Israel and Ten Commandments is no longer obsolete. I mean, it's, it's not obsolete. It still holds true. Um, uh, no matter what uh, uh, humanity uh, in our culture is telling us, um, a, a belief that we're totally depraved as humans and unable to live up to these very same absolute truths. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, we are oriented uh, towards idolatry. 
uh, and that's why we need Christ's intervention and uh, sovereignty of God over every circumstance, including uh, trouble and suffering. Um, those are some of the things that we uh, affirm around here, and it totally flies in the face of, of uh, not just modernist thinking, but late modern, uh, postmodernist uh, thinking. And so what we're going to talk about here for the next several weeks is like, how can we, st- how could we stand there in that place of tension? What would delude us so much and still, and not checking our intellects at the door, being thoughtful people who are not saying, well, you know, well, what, by golly, the Bible says it and that's why we believe it. You know I mean? And that's true, but, but doing it uh, as, as thoughtful people who are, um, who are not checking our intellects at the door, like I said. And so that's what I have to offer you. And we've got uh, seven minutes, sorry, left for discussion. Um, and, and I'm not going to leave you there, right? We're going to, Craig's going to talk, Craig Small is going to talk to us next week about the idea of scripture being sufficient. Um, Brandon's going to come in a few weeks and talk to us about creation, creation and the fall of humanity. Um, somebody's going to come after that and talk to you, I forget who it is, about salvation. I think Mark Ginolette uh, and, uh, and our hope and uh, final hope of eternity. Uh, and we'll talk to you about our, our sort of our, some of our denominational beliefs on things around sacraments of baptism and communion. Um, uh, I'll talk to you about our denomination and its history and where we stand in it. Uh, Zach will talk to you about uh, worship, not just the Book of Common Prayer, but just the idea of worship in general and what's that, what that's all about. Um, so that's what we have in store. Any uh, <coughs> reactions, responses, discussion, question, pushback? Yeah, well, uh, this is it. Right. It really is. <laughs> yeah, like I said, we'll get in the second half of this series, we'll get into sort of the denominational kind of affirmations uh, based largely in our document called the 39 Articles of Religion, uh, which is in the back of our uh, prayer book. Um, but before we get there, I just think it's important to talk this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I think... What are our convictions? Just what are our biblical convictions uh, before we even get into the denominational stuff? And you can join the church if you're baptized just by letting Fontaine know. Um, but I hope that you won't just do that. We want to. I, I, I really want to provide an opportunity for uh, for you to um, to think about what it is that we believe and why around here. Just what are um, we um, kind of signing up for? And by the way, membership. You know, in the let's talk about that in this modernist, postmodernist milieu. When people talk membership, we tend to think a certain thing, right? We tend to think institution. A modernist would love an institution uh, because it's like joining a club. It's something bigger than oneself would be the kind of phrase. Postmodernists hate institutional membership. Because what does it matter? I just, you know, make it up as I go. I don't need to go to church. I'm spiritual but not religious. I'm going to go in the mountains and have church on Sunday by myself, right? Um, And so when I talk about membership, I think we're talking about something else entirely. We're talking about like when uh, Paul talks about members of the body of Christ. And this is the local expression of it. When we talk about membership... It's in joining, it's more like joining a family as an adopted brother and sister, as a member of a family. 
you know, and what happens in families? We disappoint each other, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, we we get, you know, and we but, but but then hopefully we'll we'll bear each other as well in terms of our burdens and and providing for for each other and stuff like that during times of need. Um, and so yeah, that and I for that reason I, I do hope you'll join. I hope you'll become a member, but not in the same way that you join the Mountain Brook Country Club. Even if you're a member of that. This is more important, you know. I mean, this is something entirely different. Or, or join some other kind of club or institution. This is, uh, t- this is, ci- this is, this is citizenship in a in a in a, a kingdom, <laughs> is what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah. Any other questions along those lines, whether it's pragmatic or just sort of discussion about being in late modern society? Yeah. Being in a postmodern brings up a lot of the issues that I think the Episcopal Church is dealing with, and and how you yeah yeah and, um, that would be interesting. I, I think totally to yeah in that conversation yeah. about where y'all stand mm-hmm. as a church denomination with so much change coming at you. Yeah, every de- every denomination is um, dealing with. Right. Yeah. Well, and every denomination has uh, uh, fails. Um, denominations. My conclusion is that they're um, they. Um, what do I, what do I want to say? They they. I've just come to the conclusion that they're kind of necessary this side of Jordan, and yet they're all faulty. <laughs> and so what happens uh, is that it, I think in the Christian Church, this is a great point. All that I'm saying is affecting our thinking not um, for secularists alone, but also for Christians. That this thinking of modernism, a lot of it has some value to it, and even some of postmodern thinking has some value to it. There's a slippage and a sort of insidious nature to it that creeps into the church. Um, and we know, we, and you see this even in some really great and thoughtful places where we're no longer looking to the the Bible as our our, our fountain uh, for um, doctrine, but looking towards increasingly human culture and uh, its theology, as it were, and the waters start to get muddied, uh, and that makes it really difficult sometimes to discern what's true and what isn't. I'm that this stuff excites me. I don't know if it excites you at all. I it, I, I hate that it's happening, but I think it's an interesting opportunity for the church because we can no longer rest in what we had in the 20th century of assuming that even in the South uh, that everyone's a Christian and that everybody goes to church uh, because what happens in that environment unfortunately is nominalism which means people just sort of going through the motions maybe you know people like that maybe you were one yourself uh, and uh, you just you can't really tell the difference between who really is a, a, who really believes the stuff and who doesn't. But when push comes to shove in a postmodern environment, there are no, no longer going to be nominal Christians. I mean, why would you? Because if you want to become a better person, just go to you know the self-help aisle at Barnes and Noble. You don't you know you don't need Jesus to be your guru. Um, and so this stuff actually excites me for that reason. Um, but uh, we'll have more time to, to discuss all this and unpack it. And I hope I haven't scared you. If I have, come back anyway next week. Uh, because Craig is much more affable and pastoral than I am. And he will uh, make you feel pleased to be here. 
Uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.